0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show on Blog Talk Network. I'm your host, Cole Friel, live on May 23rd, Thursday, May 23rd. We have the normal routine for the show scheduled for today. Uh, we'll deal with some of the latest news and injuries in baseball. We'll, we will also be covering this time um, some bullpen woes uh, going into some of the recent performances, both on the hitting and pitching side of things. Uh, and if we have enough time before the end of the show, we'll also try to look forward to the weekend, uh, look at maybe some streamers, maybe some series, uh, find what we, we can there. Uh, the we, of course, is my co-host, Kyle More, who I must bring on now before we get started. Uh, Kyle is a writer with us at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. He is also a former collegiate and semi-professional pitcher. Um, welcome to the show, Kyle. Anything uh, on the tip of your tongue that, that sticks out to, to get us started today or just how you doing so far? doing
0: well i'm looking forward to this long weekend with memorial day it's been it's been a, a kind of a, a bipolar uh, past few days raining like crazy during the morning but then you know right towards the the late afternoon it's about 85 degrees out so you know i can take this warm weather love it not a big fan of the rain but i'm looking forward to a long weekend and a lot of baseball watching
1: Yeah, you know, usually uh, the moment we finish the show, I actually go off to my day job. But I I actually went home to my parents' house for the the extended weekend. Um, You know, for, for fans of the show, we won't actually have, I believe, a show this Sunday. I believe we are taking the weekend off for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, As we dwindle into or or begin to do some football shows uh, before too long here. Um, And before we get started with this show today, I'd like to remind our audience of our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Thrive Fantasy is a different uh, model for the daily fantasy sports game. Uh, Thrive offers prop bets instead of the traditional uh, payroll or salary-based service. Go to ThriveFantasy.com or go to MajorLeagueFantasySports.com and click Thrive link. Uh, Thrive will match your first $10 if you use the promo code MLFS. Um, also, if you are a fan of fantasy football, uh, if you're one of the p- people who like both baseball and football, uh, Major League Fantasy Sports uh, does football leagues, competitive football leagues, and we look to. Find the match, uh, the correct matchings for this league uh, as early as possible. If you feel like you would be one of the right fits for uh, one of our leagues, uh, you can contact Corey D. Roberts uh, at Major League Fantasy at Gmail.com. That's Major League Fantasy at Gmail.com. And if you like the work we do here, either on the show, either in writing, on Major League uh, you can go to Patreon.com, Slash Major Fantasy uh, That's Patreon.com. Slash major league fantasy sports so uh, like always uh, we'll get the, the normal the the main part of the show started dealing with uh, injuries and news didn't get a, a whole lot of news uh, in this segment in terms of uh, call-ups and send downs that that seemed to be the, the busy thing that happened the, the last couple of weeks. First thing I'd like to talk about uh, in terms of the injuries that we have to look at, though, uh, are actually a couple of New York teams. It, it seems like all year we've been talking about New York teams, but we've specifically been talking about the New York Yankees. Uh, the New York Mets are in a travesty of just injury after injury after injury right now. Uh, I believe Brandon Nemo, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, and Robinson Sukano are all on the injured list. And, and, and while he wasn't necessarily expected to make – uh, a huge impact this year. Uh, Yelena Cespedes was someone who we thought was possible to come back this year. He ends up uh, breaking his ankle, I believe it is, uh, uh, while on his ranch. Uh, this is not a baseball-related injury whatsoever, but uh, he is absolutely done for 2019. Absolutely no chance we see Cespedes. Um, so any thoughts on this Met situation? They just keep going down one after the other, it seems. Yeah,
0: it just seems like now it's their turn. You know, first it was the Yankees. I mean, ten guys on the on the injured list for them, and now you're seeing it on the opposite side of town with the Mets. And you know, this isn't something you want to see happen, especially when they're you know they're ultimately gunning for this division. And right now they're they're sitting in third. They're four and a half behind Phillies, two games behind the Braves. And you know, this team put a lot of stock in their pitching the past few years they've dealt with the injuries with that. Finally, I feel that they've, they've gotten their player or their pitchers back and healthy to where they want them. I mean, it's debatable, uh, you know, on, on how their, their starters have done with Syndergaard, Wheeler and DeGrom, just to name a few. I feel like, you know, I mean, if you look at it, Steven Matz has the best ERA out of, out of all four of those guys, but you know, then, you know, if you have that offense going really well oiled and they're just, you know, they're really uh, gelling, it it makes a lot of things easier. But now, like you said, Brandon Demo, Conforto, those two outfield bats, you got Jeff McNeil, who's arguably been, you know, one of the top guys coming out of nowhere after, you know, spending time and finally getting that chance to be an everyday starter. And and, and, and like you said, too, with Robbie Cano being banged up, these are four solid bats for them, and and, and and you're seeing them now on the I.L. It's like, where, where do you start going from there? I, I feel like this team really doesn't have a whole lot of depth in their in their minor leagues that they can call up that are ready. Yeah, do they have players? Yeah, but I don't know if they have the quality to come in there and, and really hold down the fourth while these guys are getting healthy. So, again, it's going to make things tough. And this division, the NL East, too, you you got to remember, the Phillies are there at the top, and they, I mean, they, they bounce back with all their off-season uh, wheeling and dealing with signings and trades. The Braves, we really know what they can do. Young team, I mean, just talent throughout, and then, you know, don't forget about the Nationals too. I get they're 10 games behind, but they can still win some ball games. and, and eventually, you know, they're going to start uh, uh, putting it together, and then it, for as bad as the Marlins have been on paper, they've been winning some ball games. I mean, six and four in their last ten, they've been scoring some runs. So this division is competitive, and you know the, the Mets really can't afford to fall behind. They're already below five hundred at uh, twenty four and twenty five. So again, this does have a significant impact on this team.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, and by the way, you know, I didn't mention it in the beginning, but Jed Lowry is a player that is is on this team that still hasn't you know made his way off of the injured list he hasn't debuted yet in 2019 but but just another uh one of those names just just out there that isn't back for this team um I think one of the problems I had with this team coming into the year was that they were uh so left-handed heavy uh that not that that's necessarily a problem but I mean you look at the the four bats on the injured list they're all left-handed in Nimmo, Conforto, McNeil, and Cano I, I think it uh, I think it gives them an opportunity. Opportunity is the wrong word, but I think it leads them in risk of um, you know, falling back against right-handed pitchers, which is one of the only things they have going for them right now is that they can give right-handed pitchers some real headaches because they have to send them out against numerous lefties. Um, you know, Jeff McNeil uh, started to cool off a bit, but is looking like a guy who could, you know, theoretically compete for for a batting title. It's a little, I throw that out a little loosely because he doesn't have the uh, isolated power, the, the power in general, I think, to, to push that average consistently. But I do think he has the natural ability to spread the ball and make contact uh, back to ball. That could make him a threat potentially for like a batting title. Uh, he's hurt. Nemo's been struggling, but he's still a threat to get on bases. Um, and then I think the one that that really sticks out for, for different reasons to me is, is the Robinson Cano one because you know you bring in Robinson Cano uh, at 36 years old uh, with I believe five years left on his contract. Um, you're, you know you're never expecting him to be a spring chicken over the over the length of that contract, but at the same time. Uh, you know, age still works the same for everybody. This is the youngest Robinson Cano is ever going to be with his time at the Mets. Uh, he hasn't done well so far this season. His OBP is in the toilets at 287. Uh, his, his isolated power and slug are, are also very low. Um, and, you know, now that Bounty's on the injured list, these are days that he's not going to be able to get back, and he is increasingly getting older. Um, you know, the Mets did bring in Edwin Diaz in that move as well, but you, you have to wonder... What are they going to be able to get out of Cano the next five years as he continues to age, and and does this deal start to look like a real albatross moving forward, or, or will they be able to you know potentially uh, work around it? I think is one of the major questions as we move forward with this team. I wasn't a big fan of the move at the time. I believe we talked about that Ignacia, uh, you know, with the Brody Van Wagen uh, Brodie Van Wagenen moves, but uh, at the end of the day, these moves have been made and. Right now, they're not returning value, especially in terms of Robinson Cano. Um, we'll move on to the other side of town. I, I pre uh, or I, you know referred to it earlier in the show, uh, but the New York Yankees are the poster child for discussing injuries this year. Um, this week is no different. I felt the Mets deserved to be talked about first just because of the sheer volume of horrible injuries that they've had to deal with recently. Um, but CC Sabathia, I believe, was sent to the injured list, and then, Um, Two days into a rehab stint, uh, Giancarlo Stanton finds himself uh, back on the injured list. Uh, Seems like they wanted to give him some more time off before they gave him some more uh, time to rehab. So, uh, you know, talking a lot about the Mets, but the Yankees aren't aren't free of it yet. Uh, Any thoughts on, you know, especially the Stanton injury? Because I know it's one that a lot of people have been uh, looking to get back for a long time. And obviously every time you hear players on a rehab uh, assignment, you you get excited. But uh, this seems to fall through pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, if, if you're looking at it from just a, a right-now standpoint, I think losing CC is arguably, you know, one of the worst things right now. He's pitched pretty well on the season. I mean, if looking at him, too, for 38 years old, I, I mean, what can you expect? You're obviously not going to get the CC we've seen in the past, you know, but, I mean, he's put together a pretty solid season. You know, he, he's right now 3-1. and one seven-game start, so he's putting that, you know, he's putting them or excuse me, uh, eight-game eight start, he's putting him in a position to win. And losing that veteran there, you know, they, that, that's tough because if you look at this, uh, some of these, these pitchers, they struggle. You, you see Jay Happ. He's been arguably a pretty putrid. You know, you, you look at James Pax, and he's finally getting there after missing a little a little bit of time, and I, I feel, you know, he's really starting to put it together. But, you know, you got a young guy like Domingo Herman who's having a very, very solid season. Uh, Tanaka, we know what he could do, but uh, I think the veteran leadership are just you know giving them that extra that extra boost there in, in knowing that when he does take them out he's going to give you a chance to win so again you know it, it, it's it's tough to have this happen and you know with the injury too it's right knee
1: inflammation
0: and we're talking about a big boy here at 6'6", six six three hundred pounds. That right knee for him is his plant foot when he's ascending the home plate. So you think about all of that torque and pressure he's putting on that knee. Well, he's arguably going to have to sit down and, and, you know, take anti-inflammatories and and not do a whole lot until it starts to subside. You you cannot have that inflammation in there for him and and have him sitting there throwing side sessions and, and whatnot because you can't put the pressure on it. That's probably what was doing it, you know, in the meantime. So, you know, this is an injury to pay attention to. I I, I would assume we might see him miss a, a maybe a, a, at the at the best case scenario one start, but I'd say probably two to three um, at the worst. But uh, yeah, and then on the other side with with John Carlos Stanley, it, it's just been frustrating. I know he's been frustrated. You know, you see him get ready to come back and suffer one injury, then he was on a rehab start, and, and 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 then again, you know, he he goes down yet again. So. Uh, I mean, it just, just the implications, it, it, it's really tough, especially for fantasy owners. I mean, you haven't been able to use them all season. You know, and I know there are a lot, a lot of fantasy players out there that, you know, that, that coupled him with uh, Aaron Judge. And, you know, we haven't seen him uh, do anything. And, and the thing is about Judge, too, with that oblique injury, we don't know how long it's going to last. This could last, obviously, the end of uh, the rest of this month and probably in the late June, too. So these are two significant injuries. This team, though, if you're looking at them, they are competing. They are at the, at the top of the division. So, that you know, that's one of the, the, the better things for them. But just it, it's just the severity. And it seems like right when they're about to get uh, guys coming off the deal, someone else drops too. So it, it's extremely
1: frustrating. Yeah, you know, we, we have all kinds of Yankees fans on the show from, from time to time, uh, like, like Joe Iannone. And it seems to be a, a conversation I have a lot with Yankees fans. Um but yeah, it just seems like it's it's one after the other this year. I mean, there, there's players that are getting not not just playing but getting hurt uh, that I think we saw coming into the season as almost unnecessary depth, uh, and they immediately stepped into uh, some pretty major roles on this this New York Yankees team. Um, this is a this is a lineup that we thought would be you know headlined by by Judge and Stanton and you know right now it's Glyber Torres especially against the Baltimore Orioles uh you know pulling pulling the cart behind him with with some help from some other guys but you know mostly this team just needs to focus on on getting its big hitters healthy um while doing a fairly good job of staying in the com- competitive race for all that they've lost um transfer to you know, this isn't as big of a fantasy uh, story, though uh, he has stolen a decent number of bases this year. Um, but Andrelton Simmons goes down with uh, what I believe to be a, a fairly major ankle sprain. Uh, it was it was a grade three, uh, and I do believe uh, that there is some extent that they get worse, but I could be wrong on that. Um, you know, I think the big thing for this argument to me is that if you would have asked me coming into the season who I thought the top three angels were, on loss uh, on in terms of war, uh, you know, obviously Mike Trout's first, but I think there's a pretty solid chance that Justin Upton and, and Andrelton Simmons uh, would have been my two three punch. Maybe actually in the opposite way because Andrelton offers so much in terms of war with his defense. Um, so you know, at this point for the Los Angeles Angels, uh, they've struggled and they weren't necessarily looked at as as a contender coming into the season. Uh, but maybe most primary in these struggles is the fact that they've lost two of now, now two of their most major players, uh, that were expected, you know, to make a big impact this season. Um, you know, do you feel, what do you feel about for both the present and the future of the Los Angeles Angels, uh, just, just brief, but also, you know, in terms of this Andrelton Simmons injury and also, you know, just thoughts on the Andrelton Simmons injury in general, Kyle.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is a, a significant one for the team as a whole. I, I mean, if you look at it offensively, he's had a pretty solid season. Yeah, he's never been one to, you know, known to kill you with the bat. But, I mean, for a guy that's a career 270 hitter and he's hitting just below 300, you know, he's put it together. And, you know, one thing about Simmons, he's we've we've always heard about him as being – well, well, well above average into that superstar range defensively with his mitt, with his strong throwing arm too. So you know it, it's definitely a setback. And the thing is the severity of it too. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a grade three sprain. I mean, that's just short of having, or you know, probably a complete tear of a ligament in that ankle. We don't know what it is. I'm not sure uh, how how high it is, but I mean, for it to be grade three, that's one of the highest grades you can get. So it's definitely going to take some time. I wouldn't be you know, surprised if he, he may have like a, a a minor minor surgery just to you know try to help uh, alleviate the, the the damage and and get the uh, the um, um uh rehab time down. But I mean, I I wouldn't be shocked if he misses two months with something like this. So it's pretty significant. Now, as a whole, too, I, I mean, the Angels really need to to you know develop their team. Here's here's the thing: you have Mike Trout, arguably the best player. In the league. The thing is, if this team isn't making the playoffs, it's not good for the league as a whole. You know, the marketing behind it and everything. If he's playing for the Red Sox, if he's playing for the, the Yankees, if he's playing for the Cubs, the Dodgers, these teams, are. even Houston right now, you know, these teams that can are, you know, uh, annual or perennial contenders, that's great for the league because you're always going to see them on TV. You're always going to, you know, hear about them too. But the fact that you have him out there with the Angels. There's not a whole lot of great talent behind him. You look at Poole, he's, he's got to foot out the door already with his age. And then, you know, you got mediocre talent at best around him. Luckily for them, they were Connie. But, again, he's not pitching. He's just hitting right now. But, you know, this team needs to develop. They need to start hitting on their draft picks. They've got to develop uh, talent. Luckily, I don't know if we're going to see him next year or in two years, but they have Joe Adele, who's arguably going to, their top prospect right now and arguably one of the top in baseball. But this guy is going to be a superstar, too. This is the kind of things that the Angels need. They need to have another superstar on this team. And I think Joe Adele can be that, that guy. They do have a, a third baseman, Ben Maitan, who they were able to get from um, the Braves after they forfeited his rights. But you've got to develop Maitan. He's only 18, 19 right now. Again, this Angels team needs to develop because right now you do not want to waste a guy's career that is putting up numbers that are equal on par with a guy like Mickey Mantle right now. He's the best player in baseball. They need to be able to put winning teams together for Mike Trout. They invested in him. They gave him a huge contract. Well, now don't just let him sit there and waste away his career. They need to start developing talent.
1: Yeah, you know, um, We've talked about it a few times before, but the Angels, I think, actually have one of the maybe best case studies in how to just you know ignore a farm system. Um, I think even you know not that they would ever be this uh, blatant about it, but I think even a few uh, back back when they were making the contracts, I think the Angels would have admitted that their concern wasn't. Uh, uh, building the farm system for the future when they were signing guys like Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols, it was, uh, you know, filling in this this small window that they thought they had right at that moment. Well, it turns out those guys both kind of flopped, um, you know, in an extent, Josh Hamilton almost flopped more so than Pujols. I mean, you know, obviously the figures are different, and there's a difference between 100 million uh, and like 300 million, uh, you know, especially to to even these teams. Um, But Josh Hamilton – was out of L.A. with like $80 million left owed to him within a year. Uh, Albert Pujols has just stuck around and been kind of a league average player. Uh, but, again, uh, going back to the original point, the point of this isn't just the amount of money that they wasted. They had to give up a, uh, a compensatory first-round draft pick, their first-round draft pick. In two consecutive years, they didn't even sign them in the same year so that they could have you know, given up a lower-level pick for the second free agent they brought in, uh, which you can do if you bring in multiple free agents a year, um, they don't, you know, they don't make you pay forward with first round draft picks. They just, you take a lesser pick and th- that you give up. Okay. They made the free agency decision to give up first round picks in consecutive years, and you know it didn't seem like Epler's, uh, uh, or excuse me, Depoto's big uh, mission was to build the farm system ever since Billy Epler's taken over. Um, they haven't become a winner yet, but they have become uh, a team that seems to at least have a competent or even above competent ability to build a farm system. Uh, Joe Adele is going to be the first, you know, case of it. Uh, like you said, cleverly getting uh, Kevin Maiton when, when all the Braves drama blew up and, and they had to vacate a lot of prospects uh, after they had some controversy with how they were spending their international bonus pool money. Um, you know, regardless of how it happens, this is an angel system, I think, that that does have the ability to start supporting the team moving forward. And hopefully when they get out from under these albatrosses that, uh, you know, Albert Pujol says they'll be able to afford a good amount of money. You know, people look at the Mike Trout full figures and they get, you know, scared by it. But ultimately, you know, $35 million on, on a baseball payroll, you know, isn't that much for an annual amount. I mean, let's put it into comparison. I use this argument a lot, but, you know, I mean, if you just think in your head how much the Boston Red Sox paid Hanley Ramirez, Pablo Sandoval, Rusni Castillo, um, you know, guys that if, if you not follow baseball closely for the last five years, you might not even know who Rusni Castillo is. He's just a, he's a young international player who was brought over by the Red Sox and they immediately paid him money, and he never panned out into anything. I mean, Boston put more money – winning a World Series, winning a World Championship on players that did absolutely nothing or were closer to league average than, you know, twice as much as what L.A. needs to pay Trout. So, you know, you can pay a Mike Trout pretty easily. You just need to be smart with the rest of their money. You know, L.A. can't be paying Hanley's, can't be paying Pablo Sandoval's, and can't be paying Ruzny Castillo's, or, you know, in their real situations, Josh Hambleton's and Albert Pujols's. They need to be sticking, you know, Getting getting the guys that they can afford, if they go in on free agency, it needs to be a, you know the Harper Machado types. And now that they have a system, maybe they can start generating talent themselves. Um, and the pieces Billy Epler can bring in will be more complementary, and be able to fill in some of these roles. Um, you know, this is somewhat starting off our bullpen segment, um, but it, it's a bit of a segue. It, it's the last bit of injured news that we have on this list. Wade Davis. Closer of the Colorado Rockies heading to the injured list. Um, I believe Scott Oberg uh, was named the most likely to get saves in the intermediary. Um, he does not have a great K to BB or a lot of advanced numbers, but he is at a sub two ERA so far this year, uh, which I think is making him the natural fill in closer uh, for Wade Davis. Uh, I'll, I'll go into previewing the bullpens a little bit more uh, in a minute, but be, before we get into that, any thoughts on, uh, either Davis or the potential for a replacement? Yeah,
0: I, I mean, it, it's, it's something they're saying. Luckily, they don't feel it's going to be long-term, but, you know, we've seen our fair share of oblique injuries so far to start this season. So, you know, again, like you said, you know, they do have options they can go with. Uh, you, you got to remember, too, uh, I'm sure they don't want to go that route, but they do have veterans and, you know, Mike Dunn uh, uh, O oh as well. And But, yeah, Oberg probably looks like their best bet, you know, early on for what we've seen. But and at the same time, too, they do have Brian Shaw, who's, you know, been there as a veteran uh, and, and can get it done. But I, I think right now if they can just try to get by, because they're only sitting nine games out, I know they're under 500, but this team, they really haven't put it together. I still don't feel like we've seen this offense click and, and, and really glue like we're going to see. So, you know, again, they're saying that the injury isn't severe, but, I, again, when you have an oblique injury, especially with a, a pitcher like that, too, it, it causes them a lot of downtime. So you got to wait for it to heal. Um, but, yeah, I, I think over would probably be the best bet um, to get the first chance at saves, and, you know, again, this team, you don't want to fall too far behind. I mean, the Dodgers already have a 16 lead on this division. You know, the Padres, they have you know, they have, after they came out pretty hot, they've, they've really, you know, not really, you know, they've struggled a little bit in the past. So, yeah, I'd say over is probably the first uh, one to get the save opportunities, but they are saying that Wade Davis' oblique injury isn't supposed to be long-term.
1: Yeah, that would be definitely a situation to monitor. Anybody who plays in a a league, especially a league that has like five categories and only calculates saves, um, if it's a competitive league, you're really chasing every single save. Um, Maybe you didn't even get them at the draft. That makes it even more necessary for you to chase every single save. Uh, and that's why, when you know, when a major and obvious closer—major in the sense that he is the clear and defined—when uh, a clear and defined closer gets moved to the injury list, that obviously creates a, a, a vacuum situation where someone's going to fill in there uh, and get the saves we are looking for. But moving on to the, the full bullpen segment, uh, bullpen woes—we're uh, mostly looking at uh, bullpens that have been struggling so far this year. We'll also cover um, some names that could potentially become. Uh, available as the season goes on um, you know I'll just put out some of the, the full overview uh, and, and I'll see what what topic points Kyle wants to hit first and, and we'll just see where we go from there um, the four teams we have listed are the Chicago Cubs the Los Angeles Dodgers the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves um, the Cubs and the Phillies both have sub four bullpen ERAs, but they are just under four um, the Dodgers and Braves uh, you know the Dodgers a lot of people might be thinking, well, Kelly Jansen hasn't been too bad, uh, and that is pretty accurate. But as a whole, uh, the relievers have a 4.44 ERA, and Jansen uh, certainly hasn't been the dominant reliever that we've seen in the past. Uh, similarly, the Braves have, have had a huge problem with their bullpen all year, no matter who's been back there. Uh, you know, Luke Jackson's been blowing a couple opportunities recently, but before that, he'd been pretty solid. Um, but as a whole, the Atlanta relief pitchers right now have a 4.51 uh ERA. Uh, I'll bring up some of the, the available names maybe in, in a little bit, unless you want to bring up some of them. But uh, what are what are some general thoughts or, or where, where do you want to start off with these these awful bullpens? Yeah, yeah
0: I, I mean, here here's my thing. If we're looking at all four of them as a whole, I started looking at not only their ERA, not only you know, their strikeouts and walks and, and, you know, all those analytics that we usually tend to look at, but I started going deeper. And I think looking at the innings pitch, Here's the thing that I found that was really, really interesting. Out of these four teams, going at the top number one Tampa Bay with the most innings pitched with their relievers, and obviously that has to do with their you know, them going with openers and then considering the guy that comes in next, uh, you know, relief innings. But then at the bottom, 30th, you have Washington, you have the Cubs at 24th, you have Philadelphia at 20th, you have the Dodgers uh, uh, at, at 25th, and then you have Atlanta towards the top at, at 12, 177.2 innings pitch. So here's what I found interesting. These bullpens are so bad, yet looking at the Cubs, looking at you know at, at Philly and the Dodgers, they're towards the bottom in, in terms of total innings pitch from the relievers. So, you know, that tells me they're they're really starting to try to get or I shouldn't say starting to, but they're leaving their starters out there maybe longer than we would expect. Atlanta's, you, know, you know, they're up there in terms of overall going to their relievings, but you got to remember too, you know, they have a young starting, you know, staff where, you know, you don't want to put too much of a workload on some of these young starters. I mean, look at what Soroka's has done. He's been phenomenal. You look at, and Max Freed, he's been great too. But, I, again, you don't want to try to, you know, stretch them out and, and leave them out there longer than you have to. But the one thing is with the Cubs there, they do have the veterans. You know that they can leave them out there longer. But that was the one thing that I found extremely interesting was, you know, they're towards the bottom of the league. Again, you got the Cubs and 24th with 163.2. The Dodgers, 25th, 154.0. And, you know, Philly just a little bit ahead of them at 167.1 innings pitch. So, you know, these guys, these managers, they don't want to dig into that that, that bullpen. They don't know what they're going to get. And that scares them because, again, you don't want to blow leads. I get it's early in the season, but you don't want to have that happen.
1: Yeah, the Braves situation, I think, is obviously – uh, in terms of innings pitch from from the relief pitchers, is, is a situation I think you'd almost expect looking into it to uh, be a bit inflated compared to the pack because, like you said, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned Soroka and Freed, and Soroka and Freed are the ones who have been pitching amazingly so far this year. Um, that doesn't even make mention of how Sean Newcomb and Kyle Wright during a couple of his, uh, you know, I know he had at least one really bad start, um, and a couple of these other young guys who have come up and not been successful. Obviously, that leads in, in the game to them being uh, pulled very quickly. So, you know, the Braves are a team that's macking out a lot of innings, and um, you know, as much as the high innings might be why they're both in ERA, is one of the worst. It's the worst in the query that we have in front of us uh, with a 4-5-1 ERA. But uh, what, what's more substantial to that is that I don't think it's just the innings because the back end has really had problems. It's not like they just have You know, two or three guys working really well, but they've been having to go outside those two or three guys, and then they start to struggle. Atlanta's really struggled to find those two or three guys. This guy, you know, obviously uh, hurt and then actually, I believe, traded since then. Um, A.J. Mentor struggled to start the season. Luke Jackson's been good up until this past Tuesday. Uh, He he hadn't been perfect before, but he's been pretty good. Uh, Tuesday gave up three or four earned runs, and and that obviously – Uh, inflated his numbers up a bit. You know, um, speaking of finding, you know, the back end, uh, our Chicago Cubs uh, have obviously been been struggling in in that respect a lot. Um, Brandon Morrow has been a a, a nobody so far this year, and uh, his career of injuries, you know, definitely make you hesitate in terms of believing how quickly uh, he'll be back Pedro Strope is uh, a bit more encouraging simply because it was just a hamstring issue but uh, he's another guy you know struggled a little bit so far this year like to see him get back uh, into some you know shape or in terms of consistency in terms of pitching uh, Steve Ciszek is the guy who's been um, the most favored it seems right now in terms of the back end of the bullpen in terms of the ninth inning uh, while these guys are out you know Madden seems to uh not care so much uh especially when it comes to c check uh in, in using these closers in a traditional saves rule like for instance, I saw him bring c set in uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before uh in a situation where with one base runner and four runs it was it was not a safe situation but uh if one more hitter had gotten a hit or on base or, or anything else it it would have became a safe situation and I think you know I think there's a reality in the fact that most managers would have waited uh, for that save situation to actually manifest uh, before turning to C-Sheck. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of advanced people get past the save, but I do think the same with the win. I think there's a, an ego involved with wanting to get one or the other. And, you know, if you're in the role, of being the closer, and if you're in a situation to practically be the closer, I actually do kind of prefer my guys to be saved for save situations, uh, at least in, in terms of like that specific situation where you're choosing whether to bring them in in a four-run game with one run, with run, one runner on or, you know, once the on-deck man becomes the tying run and you can actually get save situation out of it. Um, like I said, there were some names here that um, we listed in terms of potentially available. Uh, the first one, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, obviously he's still available. Um, the team will not have to forfeit a draft pick after we get past the MLB draft, obviously, uh, as there will no longer be uh, a pick to forfeit, so to speak. That is, that is actually how that, that rule works. Um, and, and fairly so as Kimbrell has already been quote unquote punished enough for, uh, turning down a qualifying offer. Um, Ken Giles of Toronto has been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball so far this year. Uh, One, three, one ERA, 10 for 11 in save opportunities. I know the first uh, news of trade for him came actually from the Cubs side of things. I know that there, that was a rumor that I caught on MLB trade rumors uh, earlier on in the week. uh, Nick Vincent and Sam Dyson for the San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Giants. Uh, have a, have a chance to to be some something in, in terms of the trade market. Uh, Sam Dyson, especially, uh, has some closer experience before twenty three or four K to BB. He's a guy that I think could find himself as a uh, priority late inning reliever, or at least someone who uh, you know gets bought on a flyer with the chance of of being that. Um, Sam. Uh, Gaviglio uh, also of Toronto you know just basically anyone on, on this Toronto team I, I don't expect this Toronto team uh, to be overly competing I mean maybe if they think they can turn around in one year uh, they'll be keeping on these bullpen uh, assets but you know bullpen assets take or or excuse me can, can fall apart so quickly I think I mean I think we've seen that recently with like Andrew Miller um, and I think unless you're trying to compete in the moment it's always better uh, to sell bullpen assets for long-term assets, uh, at least in terms of the long term, the, the times that having a bullpen asset uh, becomes necessary is obviously when you make the trade to help you get over the top, like when the Cubs, you know, traded for a, a role as Chapman before they they won the World Series. Um, so, so Toronto, you know, they might like these guys, even Beattie, Giles, Gaviglio, but if anyone comes knocking uh, with a long-term solution to any of their, you know, problems, I, I think they have to take them up on it. Um, And then Oakland's an interesting team to look at because definitely a competitor uh, coming into the season, but has struggled a little bit out the gate, um, you know, and they're also a team that does consistently look for value in the long term. And I think they do that sometimes by trading away relievers, even years that they're trying to be good. You know, um, Blake Trinan is a guy that they got, I believe from Washington in a very simple switch for Sean Doolittle in a, in a switch where they were, on paper supposed to be giving up the better relief pitcher, uh, and it hasn't necessarily worked out like that. Uh, Joaquin Soria, also a name on this list, a name that's interesting to me and came up in a couple of my uh, inquiries while making my bullpen piece. Uh, he is one of the few relief pitchers to not have a lot of home runs so far this year. Now, I know why some people would take that as a, as a bit of a luck metric, and it is. I, You know, I haven't seen his games, and I can't make the argument that he hasn't been, you know, taken for a ride once this year and just happened to get a little fortunate. Um, but what it does say is he probably hasn't been taken for a ride a lot so far this year. Uh, his strikeout to walk rate has been improving recently, uh, specifically on the strikeout side. Uh, they've been starting to stick out more and more alongside his zero home runs allowed. So, you know, Sory is an interesting name for me. Um, any, any, any takes on, on this list? Uh, anyone else you might want to add or, you know, where you think these guys could potentially be heading off to?
0: Yeah, so uh, I mean, obviously, the top two are going to be, you know, uh, Kimbrel and, and Giles just because of the, you know, if you look at their resume, what they've done in the past, you, you know what to expect. The thing is, too, with Ken Giles, I, I think I, I like the fact for him that he does have. Uh, a year of control left, yeah, he's he signed through 2019. He is arbitration eligible, but, you know, with him, too, it does give you a little bit of leeway as, you know, his earliest free agent date would be 2021. So, you know, I I do like that, that even though you're going to make a trade for him, you're not going to just be you, – you, you have the option of not just losing him, in, you know, this coming – or after this season. So and then with Kimbrel, too, I think it's going to be interesting to see because I really can't see him – Wanting to sign a a one year deal or a deal to just last the rest of the season because he's gonna want to get paid. You know he, he he's not going to just sit there and be like yeah all right you just want to sign me for the rest of the season no he wants one more contract I I would not be shocked if he's going to be looking for a two to three year deal something that will you know give him the rest of this season 2020 and probably all 2000 and you know uh, 2021 too so it, it it's really gonna be. Very, very interesting to see who's going to go out uh, or go out there for him and, and see what they're going to offer. So obviously, you know, those are my two or top two in terms of really solidifying that closer's role in the ninth inning. Um, the other guys, you know, on the list, Dyson's been there before, you know, in that role. Blake trinan has been there in, in that role, too. I mean, if you look at, you know, uh, and Trinan too, 9 for 11. But the thing is, is are, are Oakland, are they going to fall far enough behind where they're going to be sellers? I, I mean, again, this team won 90 games last year. It is still early. You know, it, it is only May. I, I know we're getting ready to enter June here, but it's not like they're going to – you know, you know, I should say it's not like the season is going to end tomorrow. So, for me, I did add those guys because I can see them being available. With, uh, Joaquin Soria, again, a veteran guy that can get you that, you know, seventh or eighth inning. I, I really don't think he's a guy you want to stick in the ninth inning role. But, again, will they be available? Um, with Nick uh, looking at San Francisco, too, I mentioned Vin, uh, excuse me, Dyson. Nick Vincent is very uh, interesting, too, like uh, Sam Gaviglio, because I, I, I know – uh, Gaviglio for sure is on a one-year deal. So he'll be a free agent, you know, and if you're going to be trading prospects too, I'm assuming you can get some of these guys. You're not going to have to really break the bank as you know, we've seen, you know, the Cubs do to get a, uh, um, a Chapman. We saw, you know, Cleveland do to get Andrew Miller, but you know, these guys are, are, they are believers that can be had. And I, I, again, I don't think you'll have to break the bank for any of them. Um, uh, uh, again, it's going to put all four of these teams are going to be in the hunt. There's no doubt about it. I think it's crucial to be completely honest with you. With um, the Cubs and the Braves, I I, I think they're going to be arguably probably the top two to really go after Giles or Kimbrell. The Dodgers, like you said, I think they're going to be looking for those pieces to put in the seventh inning, eighth inning to get the ball over to Kenley Jansen. And yeah, you know, his numbers do look a little different than we've seen in years past. And you know, there's there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, and then with Philly too, I mean, five blown saves and 18 opportunities. You know, we we mentioned the Dodgers, but I, I feel the Phillies don't have. You know, the thing is. They're going to have to look at more than one reliever because you know they're only a game and a half above Atlanta. As I said too, with Atlanta, I think their team right now more talented than the Phillies. I understand they have Bryce Harper. They have you know you got J T Realmuto, Gene Segura, and then Reese Hoskins, everyone's favorite. But I mean, if you look at this young talent of the Braves, I think that they have enough to win this division now, and they absolutely need to solidify that ninth inning. So I to the Cubs. And the Rays are going to be arguably the, the 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 two that are really going to be going after Giles and Kimbrel, and I think it's the most important that these two players end up on one of these two teams because they both need to solidify that ninth inning. I mean, you, you got to remember too with the Cubs, it leaves a uh, you know it leaves a, a sour taste in your mouth. Brendan Morrow, we don't know if he's ever going to pitch again. You mentioned Pedro well he's already had you know where I want to say in spring training was in the hamstring, and we saw him ready by opening day, then he missed time again, so you don't know where you're going to get there and I always feel like, well, if, you, if you look at his, his makeup too, very extremely fit guy, he has more muscle than you'd see on most relievers, but because of that, when you see that, you're like, oh, I wonder if his body, his lower body is more tense than most and you know, when you're adding more muscle, you're going to be more tense naturally, your muscles aren't going to have as much give as, you know a, a more slender um, build, so my thing is, he's had this hamstring injury uh, uh, pop up last year too so can you count on that? You don't know. So it's frustrating, again, with the Cubs too. Milwaukee won this division last year. That left a sour taste. Then they got knocked out by the Rockies out of the playoffs all together in the, in the wild card game. That leaves a sour, a sour taste. And it seems year after year, the past few seasons, when are the Cubs going to solidify the ninth inning? When are the Cubs going to solidify the, the, the ninth inning? Theo and the rest of his regime have got to be sick from hearing that question. So, again, Go out there, do it now. Don't let other teams jump you and in, 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 in get these players just to make sure you don't get a hold of them too because that would be smart on on, the, on these other teams. you got to remember too, Ken Giles too, he doesn't necessarily have to go to a team that needs a closer. He can go to teams that are in the hunt that you want to put in that seventh role, eighth role too. So go out, I say get them early rather than wait till that um, uh, trade deadline because if that's the case, I don't know if they have enough prospects that would intrigue Toronto. Where I think another team could arguably uh, beat them out with the package they're going to put together, and they may not even have Giles come to their team to be a
1: closer. Yeah, the the Cubs have been very um, specific, I think, in in their philosophy with dealing uh, with the closer rule. You know, it's it's not that they're unable or unwilling to pay the primary price or the prime price. Um, but they're not willing to do it for the long term, uh, especially economically. You know, um, we we both know, and I think most people know, this is a team that uh, has had a role as Chapman, but for only a year or less. So um, has had Wade Davis, but only for a year. Um, you know, and hasn't continued the commitment uh, to these guys, which is fine. I, I like it in theory, but you have to continue to bring in um, not just one Brad Brock and one Steve C. Sheck, you need to fill your bullpen up with C. Shecks and Brock's and, 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 and guys that you can get on these discounts if you're going to go that route. Um, and, and they have struggled with that. Um, you know, Carl Edwards obviously taking not necessarily a step back, but but struggle so far this year uh, is obviously a factor there. Um, you know, when it comes to, to bidding up, the Atlanta Braves situation is interesting to me because, as you put it, they have a, a ton of talent. But I think, from my perspective, what, what I what I think when I see this team isn't necessarily. Um, if I'm this team, I'm not necessarily saying we need to win now uh, and our competitive window is starting, and we need to sell things to win now. Um, but what I am thinking to myself is, if I do want to win now, and if I do think it is possible, I think it is impossible if we don't improve the bullpen because the bullpen really has been, I mean, we talked about a couple teams, a couple different situations, and there's been all kinds of rhymes and reasons up and down this list, uh, or of the teams we've talked about of why they've struggled. You know, some of them have, have had carousels in the ninth inning. Um, the Atlanta Braves have been pretty bad from day one in terms of the bullpen. Like, um, you know, I play in the Dynasty League with a couple of Braves fans, um, and I, I, I have been getting messages from the beginning of the year about just how bad this bullpen has been consistently, um, and I think we, we've seen that hold to fruition. So, you know, the question to me isn't necessarily uh, do the Braves think that they need to win this year, or more so that, you know, if the Braves want to be competitive, uh, it's a move that they have to make. Um, you know, in terms of attacking the Ken Giles market early, I think it's a smart move to do, but I think uh on the same token, if I'm Toronto, if I get the inclination that Craig Kimbrell is going to sign, and I don't know that he is um, because well, I do agree with you in the Craig Kimbrell perspective that his his main goal right now is getting that one big last payday um, I think that's the, that that's the clear goal that's what he's trying to do. The problem is he's horribly mis you know misinterpreted his market or uh, you know, the the conversations have been such that he hasn't been able to establish his market uh, the way he wanted to. If it is, in fact, possible that Craig Kimbrell is available, I think as long as he is available, that has a chance of, you know, driving down Giles Price. Uh, I have to imagine, just like, you know, like we were saying, as them being the two of the tier, I have to imagine the minute Craig Kimbrell goes off the market, I do think Ken Giles Price raises a little bit, uh, unless some other relievers get on the market. and I think if you're looking for a you know not necessarily a long term solution because I know he's been around the league for a while, he can't have too much uh, control left, but it, but if you're looking for uh, the high- end guy uh, with a few years and in, in the trade market, I think it's uh, it's pretty clearly uh, Ken Giles at this point. Um, and obviously throughout this list we have you know a number of guys like we said that have relative experience in late inning rules and, and can be figured to uh, uphold a decent amount of value. Uh, one last uh, talking point, um, a, a bit uh, different from what we've gone so far. Uh, I almost actually glanced over it, but I think it's a, a pretty important one to talk about, especially in shallower leagues. Um, Jose LeClerc might have his stuff back. Um, he had uh, a recent performance where uh, he retired five of the six batters he faced uh, via the strikeout. Um, you know, Coming into the year, I was as high on Jose LeClerc as I was on really any relief pitcher uh, in the sport of baseball, you know, I didn't rank him quite at the top of the list, but, you know, I had him pretty much in the elite tier um, based on a lot of the things that really impressed me both with him and his numbers in 2018. He, he was obviously a disaster to start the year. Um, but, you know, I, I think we talked about on this show how, you know, being a disaster doesn't necessarily mean that this year or last year was a fluke. He could have legitimately been great last year and have been legitimately struggling so far this year. Maybe he's found a way to put it together. Um, you know, do you think Leclerc's taking steps in the right direction, um, and, and do you think he can he can reclaim th- this closer role? Um, because to me, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it right off, if I'm in the shallow league and he's available, and like I said, it's like a five by five saves league, I'm I'm jumping on Leclerc right now uh, and hoping that that he can get back to the the closer role with uh, little competition. Um, what do you think, Kyle? Yeah,
0: I think. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I mean, if you're looking at at, at the numbers too, he only had two blown saves on the season. But the, the issue was that even in non-save situations, he was giving up hits. He was giving up earned runs, and you know, a lot of those you know, came, you know, by way of a uh, of a long ball at times. And you know, again, two, he's given up two home runs, but you know, if you look at the runs scored there. You know that did the damage, but then you know if he did give up a hit, they were scoring runs. But I mean the numbers aren't that bad. I think, or excuse me, the, the numbers aren't anything that you know that that can't start looking a lot better. Something you would expect from a closer as the season progresses. I I, I think the thing is too early on. I get it. We say pitchers have you know excuse me, you know the, the pitchers aren't going to be as sharp as they're going to be as, as the, you know a month after the beginning of the season. Well. That could be the case here for Leclerc. You got to remember too, the guy in draw almost all the entire minor leagues, he was up, he he was stretched out to be a starter. He had that starter mentality too. They brought him up. He wasn't the bullpen, or you know we saw him uh, start a game here or there, but you know primarily they moved him into the bullpen. Well, again, when you struggle like that, I think it's a a little different in terms of getting a reliever out of struggles compared to getting a starter. You know, in the starter, you, you're going to, you, you got some bullpen sessions. Yeah, your relievers do too, but the thing is, it, it you're, when you're a starter, you're going to be pitching multiple innings when, when you're, you know, when your start comes with the bullpen, it's just not going to happen like that. So, again, I mentioned this before, especially with Texas, there were no other relievers in this bullpen that are really a threat to take over the. Glows his job for good. And, you know, with Texas locking up LeClerc like they did, you know, they have confidence for him. Well, you know, look at his last uh, last appearances. Uh, the last time, uh, you know, since April 30th was really the last time he had that explosion where he gave up uh, 300 runs. But since then, I mean, nine innings pitch, one hit, one in run. I like that. If you're looking at the strikeouts, too, 16-4. to 4, I think it was great to take him out of that role. That role, you give him, you know, just a breath of fresh air. Give him time to just relax, work on things, you know. And don't put him, don't put that extra pressure on him. Again, he's only 25 years old. It's not like he's, you know, been doing this for a very long time, especially in the ninth inning. So I think he needed that. Two things I like since since uh, since uh, May fourth, he has had multiple uh, innings of work, and I like to see that too because it, it shows that, you know, the stamina is there, too. You know, it, feels, it gives him confidence, too. You're like, oh, you know, I can go multiple innings and get these guys out. It, it's, it's great to see. And, you know, the thing about Leclerc, too, they locked him up. They, they have that uh, belief in him. But remember, too, if this team falls out of contention, like, I mean, uh, I, I, again, they're, they're not going to win the division. There's, there's just no way around it. That being said, with that contract being pretty friendly, that makes him even more intriguing, the teams that are looking for a relief help, and even in that closer role. 25 years old, young, extremely young, has some control now with that contract they offered him. Again, a team like we mentioned, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Braves, and one I should have you know, mentioned earlier You know, when I sent that list out to you, the Red Sox too. The Red Sox will have an issue as well. Well, that makes Jose Leclerc even more intriguing. And the fact that he has shown that even after the struggles he was able to rebound and, and are and look absolutely good since May fourth. That is huge. I and mean, that's that speaks a lot of volumes to teams that are gonna be looking for some relief help. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's one of the guys that teams are going to start inquiring
1: about. Yeah, you know, when we talk about Um, this contract situation with LeClerc, I think it's it's an important one to go on because I think it also represents what a lot of these contract situations are for relief pitchers um, in in general. Because, you know, the value in the LeClerc contract is obviously um, flat. You know, it's it's non-variable now that he has a contract uh, compared to, you know, an arbitration eligible player. Um, And so, obviously, if he's a dominant closer at the top of the sport, uh, it's a way better deal than even what – you know, the Mets got Edwin for, you know, yes, the Mets have Edwin Diaz uh, for a number of years of team control. um, But the arbitration dollars that Edwin is going to set, if he continues to play like he is right now, are going to smash the records. Like he's, he's easily performed, in my opinion, uh, to date. If he finishes this season strong, uh, strongly rather, Uh, he's performed better than Jonathan Papelbon. And Jonathan Papelbon has the arbitration record for when he hit that fourth year. Uh, I think Diaz is records, Diaz is going to have that record, very soon um what i'm getting at with this leclerc thing is you know when we hear 20 or whatever million guaranteed dollars i think in a sport like baseball where the numbers get inflated and big um and every contract is guaranteed uh, we can kind of glance over the concept of guaranteed dollars um but for both leclerc and texas you know let's take the the theory of trade out just just for this argument Uh, i do do believe if he's performing well it helps him become tradable But uh, for this argument, um, you know, the way this contract works with LeClerc is, like, yes, it is an overall small guarantee, but prior to signing the contract, the Texas Rangers weren't on the hook for anything. And I know you can say that about most players, but, you know, relief pitches is is a very variable practice. And, you know, if LeClerc had one not-so-great year after one great year um, and say they didn't want to pay the arbitration dollars of their team control – they are up to no obligation to do so. They can simply non tender him. And you know, the amount of guaranteed total money that no matter what the Texas Rangers had to pay Leclerc coming into the year, wasn't that much as of today, quite a bit more. So, you know, it is a small per value contract. And if he can get back to who he's supposed to be, who I believe he can, um, it'll sell up. Um, but it is, it is, you know, it's money that the Texas Rangers are on the hook for. And, uh, from the other side of you know, the argument there, that also means that they are already invested in LeClerc. Um, and, and I think that's the other point of that argument is that sometimes we hear the small figures or what we perceive in this context as being relatively small figures. Uh, and we say to ourselves, well, they're not really on the hook. I mean, and, and, and it's right to say that, that LeClerc could never hurt the Texas Rangers like a Josh Hamilton contract – or an Albert Pujols contractor at the LA Angels. But at the same time, again, it's guaranteed money that they've put on their books. They've locked into their books for the next few years. He's there one way or the other, and I think for this team, the way that they see him best working out is you know, as the elite closer, and I think that works uh, You know, bringing the trade context back into it. Um, if you're going to trade a guy, you want to put him in the ninth inning. I think that that's pretty obvious. You know, you just want to you just want to show the fullest range of his capabilities. So you know, obviously, uh, back to the original point, I think Leclerc's a guy who could potentially turn it around, boost his value absolutely quickly, and you know, has has a reason both for himself and for this team uh, to make it work together with this contract and you know, no de incentivization to keep him from the closer role, like what would happen uh, if he was an arbitration eligible player. Um, one last quick note, just something I didn't get to earlier, uh, just something I noticed with Kenley Jansen. Uh, I'm not worried about Jansen maintaining a closer, uh, closer's role, but, you know, it, his numbers really did stick out to me um, in terms of the last two years being very similar, uh, and meaning 2018, 2019, uh, and the two previous years, 2016, 2017, also being very similar, but there being a difference. In between the sets um, And by that I mean in the last two years Starting in 2018 uh, His walks per nine has been up uh, up By about one and his home runs per nine Have been up by about one uh, The home runs per nine is actually a fairly significant Number obviously home runs per nine You know does have a little bit of Luck involved for, for lack of a better word um, But In, in the 2016-2017 Range, Kenley Jansen's home run Per nine was in the .5 .6 range which is right around what you would expect from a really good closer, you know, giving up one home run every 18 uh, innings. Um, So far in the last two years, it's been consistently up at about 1.6, and and that's really high. Uh, And, again, about, you know, roughly two to three times as much as his numbers from from the two years preceding that. So just something to keep an eye on in Kinley Jansen. I still think he's good enough be a relief pitcher and you know there's a difference between closing games and closing games dominantly uh one of the examples i like to throw out is k rod k rod francisco rodriguez late in his career wasn't the best closer but he continued to close games um, i don't think Kim jansen's necessarily there uh, but i do think these red flags for lack of a better word are are worth pointing out when it comes to jansen's profile um before we move on to the latter half of the show i'd like to once again remind our audience about our partner Thrive Fantasy. Uh, if you go to ThriveFantasy.com or Major League Fantasy slash or Major League Fantasy Sports and click the Thrive Fantasy link. You can play a different kind of daily fantasy sports game that uses prop bets instead of the salary based format. You can go to ThriveFantasy.com and put in the promo code MLFS to get your first ten dollars matched. We also have openings for our competitive football leagues. Uh, if you think that you would fit one of these leagues, you can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail dot com. And if you like the work we do here, you can go to Patreon dot com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports if you would like to donate. Um, now, catching up with some recent performances. Uh, if you want to touch on anything uh, before that, before that little promo there uh, about the relief pitchers, go ahead. Um, but uh, tapping into some of the recent performance notes that we came up with uh going to go over some of the things that 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 you put on this screen um what do you think is wrong with with chris archer um you know how good has josh bell been or maybe more poignant how good can he be moving forward and then uh are the breakouts uh experienced by uh players like tommy listella fran reyes uh and christian walker at at all legitimate um kyle any, any thoughts on these subjects
0: yeah, I, I think the most interesting thing with it has to be Chris Archer, just because of the fact of what Pittsburgh gave up to get him. We, we've seen Austin Meadows have a very, very solid season so far out in Tampa. We know what Tyler Klass now can do, and he has done. You know, they both have, have battled uh, you know slight injuries here and there, but they've been very, very good for Tampa. And you know, looking at Chris Archer too, the thing is with him. First few starts of the season looked good, and you know, then he did go on the injured list. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe they took him off uh, too soon. Because if you look at his two uh, latest starts since he came off, uh, the first one was, what, Tuesday um, versus Excuse me, the second one was this past Tuesday, and the one before that was was May 15th. And, you know, in, in that time, you're talking about a guy in two starts that's only gone 8.2 innings, giving up ten hits, giving up 900 runs, A home run per start, but, you know, for me, in in, uh, eight strikeouts to six walks, I feel like he really just does not have control uh, of any of his pitches, for that matter, especially, you know, if you're you're getting behind in the counts and you're really going on, or excuse me, going, you know, having to rely on that fastball, and especially, you know, just to get it over the plate, these hitters know it. They're going to take advantage of it. And, I mean, if you you look at that, too, I mean, guys have absolutely – done major damage, uh, not only when the hitters are ahead in the count, but, you know, the thing for me is I feel like that outpitch of his, you know, going with a, a slider that I, I feel we've seen in years past that he could get swings and misses just hasn't truly been there. Because, I mean, even at a 1-2 and two count, hitters are hitting 260 over him. That's really not that bad. It, it looks pretty good. And, you know, the, the thing for him where he's getting in trouble is any count where the hitters are ahead, 1-0, 2 0, you know, obviously, you expect guys to do damage, but uh, I thought it was interesting that guys are trying to get, at, uh, you know, are, are really looking to drive the ball when, you know, the count's even at 1 and 1, too. So I feel that outpitch for him just hasn't been there. I have concerns of whether or not, you know, he is over that, that, that injury that saw him uh, get shell for, uh, you know, and miss a, a few starts. Um, I don't know. What was your take? You know, are you seeing anything, or, you know, do you have any concerns that he? Probably isn't really truly healthy yet, Uh, Chris Archer, or uh, do you think it's you know just something else that you know he is missing his spot and he's just
1: getting too much at the plate. Well, I think so. First off, I've never really liked the fastball slider mix. Is just just in and of itself, and I think there's obvious reasons why because you know Archer doesn't mix his pitches uh, as well as a normal pitcher would or as well as a, a pitcher who's been uh, a 200 innings let's put it this way for a pitcher who pitched going from 2014 to 2017 four straight years of at least 194 innings uh, 201 innings in three of those four seasons you usually don't see that profile mixed with the guy who does I mean he throws a change up a good amount but it, he is a primarily fastball slider guy um, and, and there's nothing necessarily completely wrong with that. in in theory, obviously, but I think where I struggle with it, especially when someone struggles right off the bat, is that, you know, I I need Chris Archer to have his two pitches. So if his, you know, and this has always been my my struggle with Chris Archer, is if I feel that his fastball is 5% off or his slider is 5% off, what does that do for the rest of the repertoire? Because, you know, there's there's a lot of pitchers I like. Um, You know, I'll even go into, like, Uh, a new guy who's breaking out and being absolutely incredible recently, you know, Frankie Montas. I think the reason why I like Montas so much is he's added that splitter and he throws that splitter uh, aggressively and well now, but uh, being someone who's watched him play quite a bit this year, I've had starts and watch starts where I felt like, uh, especially his splitter or his slider, one or the other uh, wasn't necessarily there that game. It was just a little bit uh, lower than where it usually is. And, And I think he's gone into some of those games and he's, throwing more sliders against right-handed heavy lineups and got through it in this past start he threw a lot of splitters and got through it um you know what what does archer go to when plan a doesn't work um has always been kind of my problem with chris archer so you know I, I think it could be a little bit of coming back early but but more so than coming back early i think he, he might be the kind of guy who you know m- might take a while to warm up uh, a lot of times he comes back because, you know, in my opinion, if, if one of his two primary offerings is a little bit off, that can uh, significantly impact him on a start-to-start basis a little bit more uh, than some other starters uh, like that. Um, now, looking at his, his full numbers, not not talking about pitch specific, uh, his, his walk rate and his home run rate are, are pretty well inflated. And, you know, even when he was getting uh, – Talk about for, for giving up a lot of home runs. His home run rate wasn't anywhere near where it is right now. Um, and, you know, Rays is a, Tampa Bay is a pretty good park, but PNC is a pretty great park to pitch in. So seeing that 177 seven home run, nine, uh, the 9, four, the 454 walks for 9, you, you got to believe that uh, there's definitely better days to come as he gets a better control of his arsenal. But yeah, it, it's definitely something, you know, that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, he's a pitcher that I've liked, but I, I wasn't as high on him this year, I feel like, as some of the other pundits because I, I think people were expecting his ERA to improve. And while I did see, obviously, the avenue going both to the National League uh, and in a better park, you know, it, it came down to the pitch mix again, uh, that this is a guy who's had a a four ERA three straight years and at, at times just seems to lose himself. Uh, and, and he hasn't necessarily gotten past that, despite the fact that he's been a guy who's pitched 200 innings. So, uh, frequently, So, yeah, Ar- Archer's a guy I struggle with. Um, I-, I think he- he's safe for the strikeouts, and I think he's going to float back to that four ERA, uh, which is going to make him a solid uh, player. But, yeah, he's just he's someone that, that can I- easily give me some, some headaches of watching.
0: You know, I think, too, is I-, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, you weren't sure how high you were going to be or weren't too high going in on him. I-, I think at times, too, I mean, looking at his numbers, too, he's put together, like you said, I mean, three straight seasons with, you know, over 200 strikeouts, over 230. innings pitched there, but uh, I mean, maybe sometimes we do overvalue Chris Archer. You know, we, we see these numbers and we're like, you know what? He did show signs as a true number one start again on Tampa, but you know, you know, look at those years too. I mean, after they lost James Shields, after Matt Garza was gone, you know, he was the guy. He was their number one starter. You know, looking at him compared to other teams, he may not have ever been the number one on that uh, uh, on some other teams. So maybe that's where we did, you know, uh, you know, over over hype him looking at him as, as a number one, but you know, maybe he is more or less a, a, a very strong number two pitcher. And, you know, if you look at that whip, too, and, you know, the career ERA, that's, you know, what, what you see. Again, you, you did see three strong seasons with, you know, the, the strikeouts. But he did, you know, pitch, like you said, those, those four seasons, well over 190 innings. And, and, again, this pitcher, too, he hasn't been, you know, a stranger to giving up a long ball. So you know, is it concerning? Will everything come down? Yeah, probably. And like you said too, pitching there in Pittsburgh, a lot better ballpark than when he would pitch in Tampa. You know, or some other ballparks out there too. Especially playing in the you know in the in the AL East, where we know guys can hit the ball ballpark in in, in Boston. They can do it in in Baltimore. You know, and as a righty facing a lefty out there in in, in New York too, they can drive that ball on him and get it out of the ballpark. So, you know, those are signs. And, you know, back, back to injury really quick, too. You know, he was, it, it was due to his thumb on his pitching hand. And, yeah, I, I think at times when we think of, you know, especially your your, your extremities like that with injuries to pitchers, we hear about blisters on the hands and you know, fingers, you know, uh, uh, torn uh, nails on and the fingers too, their index fingers or other fingers too. But looking at that thumb, too, you you got to think, when you're throwing different uh, pitches, your thumb positioning is going to be different on the ball. And you think of a thumb, think about it as like a rudder on a boat. You're holding it at different things to get different movement on the ball, too. Well, if there's any signs, especially if it's toward like, the knuckle of the thumb, that is very, very painful. We've seen hitters that struggle like that, too. If you remember, you know, you being a Cubs fan, remember uh, Ramos Ramirez or Alex Gonzalez when they have those, or even Javi Baez now, you can see him have that disc over the, you know, uh, right around that thumb, so they don't get the bruises in and around that thumb knuckle because it will affect their swing. Well, the same can be said with pitchers too because if you're feeling any kind of discomfort or inflammation on there, you're not going to get that grip or get that move, that placement on the thumb to get the liveliness behind your pitches, and that definitely can be, uh, you know, part of the reason why we are seeing that struggle because for him to only miss maybe what two starts that's uh, he was on the he was on the 10 day il that is not enough time for 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 healing process of that thumb especially for a pitcher that's going to have to get out there and throw so i i, I think yeah there is the, you know the concerns there where the pitches aren't as sharp as, as they will be but i do give that to the fact that there's no way that thumb is completely healed and i get it you're saying a thumb, but again like i said that's like the the rudder to your pitches and the movement and getting that grip on the ball it's just not there
1: yeah, you know, I think when it comes to uh, Archer, uh, numbers-wise, I think two things that we're seeing in the early developments uh, is an elevated walk rate uh, and a, and a lowered ground ball percentage, which I think in combination kind of shows us uh, his inability to execute uh, low in the zone. Maybe I you know I haven't seen his zone profile. Maybe he's uh, leaving the ball in general just up a lot. Uh, but whether whether he's leaving the ball up or simply not executing. When he locates at the bottom of the zone, uh, it it seems that these are some of the problems he is having uh, as hitters aren't hitting into ground balls. Uh, You know, because his home run to fly ball rate, I mentioned how how high his home run per nine is. His home run to fly ball ratio is actually... Uh, right in line with his previous three seasons i mean 16.2 14.1 14.1 and this year 15.2 so you know one percent higher than the last two years but uh one percent lower uh, than that 2016 where he he gave quite a few home runs um you know that all those numbers pale when you look at by home run to nine it's one three four one two one 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 five and then one seven seven that seven seven at the end of obviously a very big number for home runs per nine inning uh, for Chris Archer. And and I think is a lot of what he's uh, been struggling with so far. Um, A couple of other uh, May breakout performers. uh, This one's not a breakout. uh, It's just the first one that is listed on here. Um, You know, attention needs to start being paid to Hunter Pence. As weird as that is to say, but, I mean, this is a guy who – was a solid baseball player, a very good baseball player uh, throughout a number of organizations for a number of years. Um, you know, Texas is a, is a good hitting environment, even if the lineup isn't great. And he's fourth, as of my calculation in May OPS, he's been one of the best hitters in May. Um, I mean, if you look at his, his full slash line, it's been solid overall. Um, you know Uh, A 312, 364, and 651 slash line, that 651 slug, and and 10 home runs already this season, Uh, obviously very impressive. I I don't necessarily, you know, believe that he keeps this up by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, there's worse players that we've seen produce at lower levels in their careers that people are buying into. I mean, you know, a long time ago, but Hunter Pence did have 25 home runs you know what 24 home runs in five out of six seasons between 2008 and 2013 uh hit 20 again in in 2014 and and that's when really the injuries uh and all that stuff began began to hinder him so you know if hunter pence happens to still be available in one of your leagues he's worth uh keeping an eye on And, and just in general i think what he's doing right now uh deserves to be paid attention to um two young players that i wasn't particularly high on coming into the year but have been two of the best players in may and have started to um turn around uh even what i see in them uh you know and i was never low on them in the long term but i thought people might be getting too excited and redraft on Cliver torres and rafael devers uh, and both those two players uh, seem to be moving forward with their careers, uh, maybe a little bit quick, uh, more quickly than, than I expected. Uh, and then another guy sitting on top of some main numbers is, is C.J. Krohn, uh first baseman of, uh, of the Twins. That that lineup keeps hitting and keeps hitting and keeps hitting. Uh, I believe we said they, they scored another 16 runs again today. Um, you know, obviously he gets a pretty good spot in it. And um, this is a team that is a little left-handed heavy. Um, so, Crone gives them a, a great right handed complimentary bat. Um, any, any comments on, on any of the other players that we, we've discussed or, or have on this list?
0: Yeah, no, I, I thought you brought a great points. I, I, I mean, harder to especially for fantasy. If you, if you need help, especially with all these injuries you've seen from off the, uh, you, you know, in the outfield, I mean, well, we, we, we mentioned at the beginning of the show with the Mets but, you know, Caporto was definitely on your fantasy teams. You know, we've talked about Stanton and, and, and uh, uh, Judge and, and the rest of them. Yeah, go out, out there. And, you know, here's the thing about Pence. Obviously, there's going to be regression. That's just the way it is, especially with the player that, you know, just turned 36 years old. But, and at the same time, too, this is the first time in the past four seasons where, where Pence seems to be completely healthy. You know, and it's, it, it, I I mean, for what? From, from 2010 to 2014, he had a – over 100 or over 600 at bats each season. Well, from 2015 to 2018, that just wasn't the case. He was averaging uh, averaging right around 300, you know. And then in 2017, he was up around uh, close to that 500 mark. But there were, I mean, he's out there in the Giants. You know, with the Giants, he was, you know, there were there were uh, concerns with injuries too. But I think he's healthy. He's getting a chance to play, and you know, I, I mean, what better spot to play towards the end of your career in Texas too, where we know the ball and fly out of the ballpark, and, you know, and Ricky, it splits, too. That's what we're seeing. I mean, he's absolutely crushing. You know, he's, he's doing well at home, but he's hitting the ball away, too. I mean, seven home runs, out of his had something to come on the road. He's coming to come at home, and he's sending it over to one both places. So, I like what we've seen that. He's doing really well uh, with his post-game and that things too. So, that definitely really a player on. I grabbed him
1: in one way. Trust what he said. It, I grabbed him in Elmore. Uh, yesterday, and they both, you know, uh, performed pretty well. Elmore uh, got that grand plan. So,
0: guys are out there. Don't be afraid to go after, guys, especially, you know, just because of their, their age. If they're healthy, they're getting at that bat, get bats. Look at the ballparks they're playing in, too. I mean, a guy, like I said, playing out there in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. You want to go out and you know, grab a guy like that. Um, Robert Torres, too, I mean, I, I think what I like a lot about him, too, when you think about the line up coming into the season, you thinking about drags. Stanton. Gary Sanchez. Well, you know, with Stanton and Judge out, I mean, they've both missed a significant amount of time. I like seeing the fact that Gleyber Torres, as young as he is, you know, he, he's really grass on and, and taking over, you know, one of the, the leaders in this line. Obviously, we know what Gary Sanchez can do, but, I mean, lo- looking at Gleyber Torres and the, the fact that he can get on base, he can shoot the ball in the, the gaps, too. He's just a complete hitter. Rafael Devers, too. Um, you got to remember, too, with him. This only 22 years old. He's young. Both of these players are extremely young. And, you know, we're, we're really starting to see it. And, you know, with Devers, what I thought was very interesting is the fact that, you know, when he first hit the scene, you the power was there. But early on in this season, we were seeing him hit for a high average. I didn't know if we would see that early on. I thought we might see some more struggles. But, you know, his average was high, and now we're really starting to see the, the ball leave the ballpark or, uh, uh, after, you know, a, a little bit of slow starts in, 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 in terms of the, the, that power there. But that's really starting to click. Glad to see that. Like you said, too, with C.J. Crone, uh, again, another guy, been around the league, a veteran. And like you said, I like the fact that he does give the Twins, uh, uh, um, you know, a, a right-handed perspective in this, this lineup where they do have a lot of lefties. One guy I want to add on the list, too, that I forgot to bring up, and you can hit on him after me, is, you know, Josh Bell has been very, very, very good uh, on this season. Again, top prospect of, of the uh, of the Pirates, and, you know, you're really seeing him uh, put it together. We, I, I feel like we really saw it his rookie year. I feel like there was that slight uh, decline after, uh, um, uh, the, the past two years, and or excuse me, um Last year, after that really solid 2017 season. But the thing for me, you know what I really like that I'm saying? The guy, I, I think he gets it. He has an understanding of what he is seeing from Major League Ready pitching. He's always been a high on base guy, even in the minors. If you're looking at it, 43 strikeouts only, and he's gotten 20 walks and 173 at bats. So he really has grasped that sense of the strike zone. I feel that, you know, he's not letting pitchers get ahead of him. I feel he's getting ahead of the pitchers and getting those pitchers in the bad uh, um, uh, counts, getting ahead in the count, there you go. And, you know, and it's really letting the the, the the at-bats come to him, letting the sequence of pitchers, each at-bat, come to him. And that's what I like. And, you know, one of the things, too, that's made him successful, he's got career high right now. I get, you know, he's only – uh, uh, this is only going to be his third full season in the majors, but that 52.3 hard uh, uh, hard hit percentage is phenomenal. The guy goes up there and he does not get cheated. And when he puts that bat on the ball, you hear it. And you hear it like very few players that I've heard. I mean, you can see with, uh, with a guy like Javier Diaz, that's just, you know, you, you can see that swing, that long swing. But for me with Josh Bell, he's a big human. And he makes that power and that contact look effortless.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I just took a look at his splits for the first time because I think splits can kind of get buried. Uh, can can sometimes get come to the surface between because a player's a switch hitter, but I think also sometimes we don't look at them because a player is a switch hitter and we uh, expect him to have the advantage. He's been uh, by no means bad from the right side against left-handed pitchers, um, but his KBB is a little bit worse and his overall numbers are a little bit worse. Uh, against righties, which is, you know, the majority of players he's going to have to go up against, uh, Josh Bell has a 11.3% walk rate, 19.1% strikeout rate. so very strong there. Uh, a 355, 426, 758 triple slash with an 11.84 OPS versus right-handed pitcher so far this year. You know, it's really interesting and funny too because I, you know, I'm pulling up this fan graph page. 26 years old, nine, 26 years and nine months. And the quick opinion directly states, and I, I mean no disrespect, because it would have been my quick opinion too. But the stats suggest that Bell's 26 home run breakout, meaning 2017, uh, was mostly a fluke. Um, but there is room for improvement here. But the you know the point that the article is making is that you know it, it or you know the, the quick opinion is making is it, it thinks he's a decent OVP guy, but that the 26 26 home runs that he hit uh, two years ago were absolute fluke. He's up to 16 now. In 200 plate appearances, I mean, his, his pacing number is closer to 46 than 26 right now. Um, and, and, you know, the the argument coming into the season was could we ever expect 26 again? So, you know, whether or not Josh Bell, uh, you know, I, I think most people don't uh, – believe he's going to consistently hit at this level, uh, but whether or not how, how much of this improvement is legitimate I think is largely up to debate, but but for a guy who's always had a good control of the strike zone, uh, a good walk rate, I think it's easier to buy into at least a, a degree of this uh, uh, being legitimate for him. Uh, you know, the hard percentage and really everything he's doing backs it up. The only real question is can pitchers kind of figure out why he's been able to get to them so easily and try to figure out a way to you know, put him in situations that are uh, a little bit worse moving forward. But, you know, right now Josh Bell's been as good as anyone. I really have no uh, concept of what I would have for a trade price. I'm going to try to do a re-rank in the next couple of weeks for the first third of the season. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to be hard to figure out how highly uh, I value Josh Bell because it's certainly, you know, astronomically higher than where it was uh, in the preseason. But it it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm willing to, to push him past a couple of the first basemen that – uh, I feel a little bit confident in, um, you know, uh, just touching on a couple of the other players we talked about earlier. Um, you know, Listella has has continued his hot start at least to, to an extent in May. still think pretty well. Um, but I think the two interesting names are the ones that have had polar opposite Mays. Um, Franville Reyes um, still, still down there in a couple of numbers. Um, but this is a guy that X stats, even when he was performing poorly, X stats, absolutely loved him uh, as someone who was, Maybe being uh, getting a bit unfortunate. Looks like that fortune starting to turn around a little bit. Uh, and then Christian Walker, you know, off to a strong start, but that OPS is already starting to dwindle. Um, and then just looking at his May numbers, one one ninety seven batting average, uh, a two sixty nine OBP so far in May, uh, with only one home run. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a very big uh, believer of Christian Walker. Um, I did tweet out at one point that. Uh, some people said he was this year's Jesus Aguilar. I thought it was more likely he would be this year's Matt Davidson. Um, and, you know, right now I'm feeling pretty confident about that opinion. I would like to see Christian Walker turn the hard contact into something a bit better, but uh, I think we've definitely seen in his uh, case uh, him start to slow down recently. Uh, any Any last thoughts on some of the recent performances?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, when it comes to Lestella, the thing about him that I've hit on a few weeks in a row, I mean, he's just getting the everyday at-bats. He's getting that, you know, and he's always been a great hitter. doesn't strike out a lot, and he's another guy that hit a home run today. Like you said, Josh did. so did Tommy Lestella. So, I mean, the dude's having a career year. Uh, can he keep this up? I don't see why he can't be a three hundred. All season, he's clearly gonna have a career year with 20 home runs. That's how, you know, it's gonna happen. I mean, he's already more than halfway there. But uh, I, I love what you said about Christian Walker, and I put him on this list for that exact reason. I said, is he for real? The thing is, he started off so well, so hot, and now you're looking at it. And if you look at April too, we after that hot that March, he still had a pretty decent April, but he did have 30 strikeouts in, in 90, or 32 and 94. But looking at May. 27 home runs and 71 at-bat. The guy's striking out. The pitchers know how to take advantage of him. And now the thing for him is going to be, can he make that adjustment? You're talking about, you know, a guy that's getting finally his first chance of starting at 28 years old. Will he be able to make those necessary adjustments or was it just a hot start to the season and that's it? You know, and for that reason too, if you were able to move him, After you know, uh, during April or right after April, before May started, you know, hats off to you because that's when you wanted to move them. Because right now we're really starting to see pitchers take advantage of them. You're starting to see a lot of swings and misses and whiffs. It's it's not like we didn't see that, you know, to begin with. But you know, you know, uh, again, like I said, pitchers are their their stuff is sharp now you know, first, we'll give them their first few starts, especially starters, even relievers for that matter. We'll give them passes to start the season, but now you are seeing major league pitching at, you know, at its best, and they are taking advantage of Walker. Fran Miller Reyes, too, he does have uh, holes in his wing. He is up to, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say, what, 14 or 15 home runs on the season, but the thing is, can he keep it up, or you know, or, or will he start getting taken advantage of too in, in terms of pitchers really looking at to get that on his swing because he does, his swing does get long and I think that's kind of expected when you're talking about a guy at six five, two, seventy five. two seventy five he's a big boy he can go up and swing with some of the best of them so you know again will, will the strikeouts you know uh, start to, uh, to to go up because I mean he did have eighty last year in, in two hundred eighty five. Uh, or excuse me, 260 at bats, and you know, as a guy that really doesn't take a whole lot of walks, but I do, you know. In, in what we are seeing is more of an all or nothing thing. A uh, uh, player, 15 home runs, like I said, but if you look at that on base percentage at 301, that's not very good at all. That's not something you know you, you want to see. So again. If the power is there, but are we going to be dealing with another Chris Davis or, 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 or you know, Joe, Joey Gallo of years past? Because, you know, he has, Joey Gallo has was awfully good to start this season. But, but again, home run, nothing. A guy that's not going to take a whole lot of uh, walks. And, you know, our pitcher is really going to start playing into the, that hole he can have in, or that he does have in his swing that tends to get long.
1: Yeah, you know, I think what's really interesting about this trio of players we have is, um, you know, if you're calculating from a skills perspective, so to speak, or a tools perspective, um, I think you have two uh, distinct types uh, in that. Listella is the kind of guy who uh, doesn't necessarily have the, you know, the big eye-popping physical tools like the power and the speed, um, but does have a lot of the small... Technical range skills that help them be a good ball player. Um, where on the reverse side of things, Christian Walker and Framil Reyes, uh, what they have is is insane power, like uh, uh, out of this world, better than the majority. I mean, the majority of baseball players, you know, because you know, wh- like this argument's about to make a point of. You know, there's a difference between having power and translating power. You know, uh, in some prospect books, I believe it's kind of the difference between calling someone's raw power. Uh, and game power, you know, um, the difference between Tim Tebow being a strong guy and having uh, the kind of consistent mechanical swing adjustments uh, to be able to ever translate that power uh, instead of, you know, 70% ground balls and a lot of strikeouts. Um, you know, what, what we have when, it looks, when we look at Fran Reyes and Christian Walker is, is skill sets involved a lot in excessive power. And all we need them to be able to do, we don't need them to be great hitters. We don't need them to be Tommy Listellas. We just need them to make enough adjustments and do enough of their small things right that they get on base occasionally and can, you know, at the worst be, you know, an Adam Dunn. A three true outcome. You know, um, these guys might not be as big of walkers as a done, but I mean, that that's kind of the point is you become uh, more towards that that three true outcomes where, you know, that, that profile is, uh, we, we talked about a Chris Davis, but, you know, could these guys be uh, more Chris Carter even? Than Chris Davis, I think, is the question um, and, and, you know, how they are able to translate these skills uh, into their game power is going to be able to, and consistency and contact is, is going to determine uh, their value long term, uh, especially in Fran Reyes' case. You know, this is a player that does have probably a pretty high ceiling um, and time to get there. You know, um, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I'd like to guess that Fran Reyes is closer to the 23 years old age and christian walker is closer to the 27 year old range you know uh, christian walker is at a point where he needs to either put up uh or you know accept a role position moving forward at best um framel reyes is a guy who has time i think to slowly mid uh, some mechanical adjustments as he moves forward you know certainly if we're talking dynasty leagues even if i felt the same about these guys right this instant i would pick Franville Reyes 100 times uh, over Christian Walker, and I, I don't really feel exactly the same about them in this instant. I, I'm, I'm a bit higher on Franville, but, um, you know, we don't have a, a whole lot of time here. Uh, just a couple minutes before the end of the show. Um, didn't have much time to touch on some preview things, but, um, you know, if, if you want to go ahead and either, you know, hit, hit one last thought on, on those players or if you want to touch on, you know a, a big preview thing or two that that you might have had to talk about uh go ahead and you know after that I'll I'll see you I'll see you next week Kyle
0: Yeah no uh, not really any uh specific uh, uh matchups I, I I wanted to bring up but you know what I found interesting I I mean it's it's may but we are seeing a plethora of these these uh, um, prospects that we always talk about. We see a lot of articles for, but I think, you know, this year is different in years past where right? I think we're seeing more and more. we see seen Vlad Guerrero Jr. You know, we saw Tatis, you know, uh, immediately make, uh, make this team, but, you know, we saw Austin Riley get to call up, and we are seeing a lot of guys. So I think that is different in years past. And, and I thought it was interesting too. I don't, I don't want to jump right back to that, but seeing the contracts that, you know the the Braves got Al- Ozzy Albee as a sign. You know you you saw the one the White Sox got with the Lloyd Jimenez. there is another prospect too. So you know it, it, it just it, it's a different feeling seeing this youth come up. You know very very soon we're you know we've seen guys at 22 or 23, but now we're seeing a 19, 20, you know, 21. So they're coming up extremely fast. So I want to, I, I I just thought that was pretty interesting that we're seeing that. One player I wanted to mention I know we haven't talked about him. It's Zach Granke. You know, at the trade deadline the season, you know, around the loss break break, what have you, you know, half the season, he's only, you know, $34 million he's owed this year. After this season, he's owed 70. So think about what, about 80, 80 or excuse me, yeah, 87 million left. He's looking pretty dominant compared to, you know, You know, I mean, he's always had solid uh, um um numbers but we're really seeing a dominance that I feel we really truly haven't seen you know in years past and I get he's owed a lot of money but if the Diamondbacks fall farther behind and they become sellers he's a starting pitcher I think teams would have to really you know uh, be interested in, in acquiring for this this run in the postseason so you know that's a name I just started a little food for thought that you know if they become sellers and they decide that they could eat a huge chunk, say thirty-five to forty million, and, and, and other teams are like, "Oh, all right, we can do that." You know, is he a player that teams would want to go after, and could we see him be moved as he, you know, after the season, too many years? But he is a, a a big chunk of money owed. But that's you know, that's just how I wanted to end it. Again, I'll see you next week. Again, it was great. It was awesome. Enjoy your uh, three-day weekend.
1: Yeah, you know, great, great having you as always, Kyle. Uh, just wanted to. Uh, one last caveat on on the, Zach Granke. I uh, agree with you on all, all, all accounts about both his talent and, and his remaining years. Um, he does, I knew he had at least some kind of partial protection, does have a 15-team block. So uh, they'll have to maneuver that and get his consent for him to leave Arizona, of course, um, as he's able to block trades to half the teams in baseball. Um, but that obviously could happen, especially if Granke wants to go elsewhere, uh, certainly having a, a great year so far. Uh, in arizona um thanks for joining us kyle um as always this has been the major league fantasy baseball radio show here on blog talk network um we won't be doing too many of these uh thursday shows uh too many more of these thursday shows as as this thursday time slot we'll be switching over uh, to football before too long but uh me and kyle will be here next week uh to wrap up may in the sport of baseball Uh, until then i will see you guys